The first time I went bowling, well, I was in junior high, and at that time I was living in a small farming community called Spring Valley, Wisconsin, population 995. Today it's 2000, or 1006, so uh, <laughs> after 30-some years. Anyways, I, I love uh, Spring Valley. My brother still lives there. Anyways, uh, right in Main Street, we had one bowling alley, and it was called Ron's Bowling Alley. Ron made great pizza, and there was f- all five lanes. And that's where I learned how to bowl. And I remember the first time I went bowling, me and my best friend Joe Kuzlik went uh, bowling. And Joe, a lot bigger than me in junior high, very strong, left-handed. I remember standing uh, right by him, and he almost hit me with the because he brought the ball back so far. And almost hit me. I was like, man, I'm not sure if I want to bowl or not. And anyways, we bowled that day. And I learned something about bowling that all of you know. This is okay pre-gutter rails, okay? They didn't have gutter rails back then. I mean, you had to bowl it down, and, and if you got a gutter ball, you got a gutter ball, okay? And I remember when I was bowling, and we were bowling, and the first couple of times I bowled and I hit the gutter on the left side just like that, and I was like, okay, that's not good. That doesn't really work. Really work. And then I just bowled some more, and then some of us do that when we bowl, hit the gutter on the right side. That wasn't good. But then, and then I learned... Avoid the gutters. And I know that's deep insight. Okay? We're done. Amen. But then I understood that bowling, you got to bowl it down the middle lane. There we go. (laughs) Anyways, and that's what Peter's trying to do. Peter, in his letter, and this is our last segment in 1 Peter, Peter's trying to help these Christians avoid the gutters of life. On one side, we could say over here, and I don't mean this personally, by the way, but like the gutter of pride. And then over here, it could be like the gutter of low self-esteem. And we tend to go back and forth on that, where we get prideful, and then we're like, man, I'm so self-centered. And then we go over here, we have low self-esteem. And what Peter's trying to do in his letter, and and hopefully you've sensed this in our teaching, is that he's emphasizing um, in his letter, be a church family. He's writing that uh, Christians that are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, and what he's trying to do is help them bowl down the center lane to a victorious life. And that victorious life really meant for them to be a family together, even though husbands and wives were separated, families were separated. They were persecuted in Rome, and, or in Jerusalem, and they scattered to these areas like Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, Galatia. And Peter writes to them and says, be a family. And then at, at, in his letter, he writes how to, in a sense, live life like you're bowling down the center lane. And we're going to continue this morning with that topic as well. If you have a Bible, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And whenever we do a, a book study, it's always sad for me when we come to the end. There's so much more I wish we could, we could jump into. Um, but we'll be uh, jumping into actually a series on Lent. Lent begins actually this Wednesday. Um, by the way, at 6 o'clock before Fam Jam begins at 6.30, uh, we're actually going to have Ash Wednesday service. Uh, Sam Randall and I will be here. And if you want to come to that, it's just going to be very brief, about 20 minutes, and we're going to sing songs and then put ashes on your forehead. We did it last year, and it was just a really moving service. First Peter chapter 5 Verses 5 through 9. In the same way, you who are younger, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
So humble yourselves. So right away, in, just, just in, a, in a span of a, of a few sentences, we see humility, humble three, three times. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I want to, I want to challenge and encourage you this week to memorize 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. It's a great memory verse. It's, I think, just one of the greatest memory verses in the Bible. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. That's another phrase that Peter tends to uh, uh, echo and reiterate quite a bit. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much that we can come together and God, uh, that uh, just during the singing, that your presence was so palpable. Just brought chills to my spine and and goosebumps, and, and God, for us to be together as a church family and to uh, worship you and to dig into the text. For we really believe that these are the very words of God. That it's not simply some book put together. This is not some random uh, list of thoughts in, in ancient writings, but actually the very words of God. And help us to accept that and to apply it to our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everybody said... Now, when it comes to humility, because that's what I want to really zero in, in on, because that's what Peter's talking about here, it's difficult to describe, and it's almost impossible to find sometimes, I think. Um, in, in fact, the English word humble actually comes from a, a Latin word, uh, humus. It's spelled just like hummus, H-U-M-U-S. And what it really means, the etymology of that word is dirt, which uh, you're like, okay, I want to be humble and be humble like dirt. Uh, but that's where it comes from. And I think, actually, humility is better demonstrated than it actually is talked about or defined. And we see it. It's building, it's building up other people than ourselves. Uh, and in truth, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's actually hardly thinking of ourselves at all. In many ways, humility assumes that there are good things about us. Humility is rooted in strength and self-confidence, not weakness. It grows out of the soil of power and competence and strength. And from the position of strength, the humble person chooses not to brag. They choose not to brag. They choose not to be proud and to flaunt success, but they look to others. They're others-oriented, and they submit themselves to that. And often, the lack of humility, I've seen this in my own life, is a cover-up for weakness, insecurity, incompetence, or failure. And those who lack humility are, are, in a, are the ones that, t- that tend to roll the, the ball on the gutter of low self-esteem. And I know that's been true for my life. And as a result, when you have low self-esteem, um, what you tend to do is you tear people down because you feel insecure. You feel like you're not competent. Therefore, we tear people down or gossip about them or uh, uh, engage in character assassination so that we may feel better that our self-esteem may lift up. But that's just a gutter ball. And we want to avoid that. And Peter uh, talks about avoiding that. And Peter wants them, as I mentioned, to throw strikes to be victorious in our Christian lives. And he teaches them how to do that. And as he talks about humility, I want to walk through three things three, and answer the question, how can we be humble? Based on 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. How can we be humble? Number one, I think Peter addresses this right off the bat, is to submit to maturity. Because we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's talking about the elders, and he's talking about the, the people in these churches that are older, 
and what he says in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And what he's saying is, humble yourself, submit yourself to those who are older. They have experience, they have maturity. Now he explains that when it comes to um, uh, younger Christians, submit yourselves to those who are older, those who have experience in the Christian faith. And, and Peter touches on an obvious example of the potential lack of humility. When he says, God opposes the proud, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting from Proverbs. But for us in the church, we don't talk about this very often, but we need to submit ourselves and come under those who are older, who have maturity. And what I love about our church, we have five generations here. You can't believe what a blessing that is. I had a church plant for five years, and it was pretty much one generation. It was mostly 20-somethings. And I longed for those who were older in the faith that could come and and really mentor and invest in um, our young people in our church. But I love the fact that we have people who have been Christians for a long number of years and those who are older. You have a place. For those of you who are older and you might think, I have no role in this church, you actually do. You actually do. Look around those who are younger and befriend them and maybe take them out for coffee or for a dinner and see what God does with that. Because I remember growing up in the church as a young boy in Spring Valley, and my father only came to church two times a year during Christmas and Easter. And, um, and in my family, my mom brought us on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, three times a week. And I remember the older, mature men in the church took me uh, by their side and invested in me. And it was just, I was just thinking about that this past week. Uh, a guy named Leo, who uh, after service, uh, my mom was talking to somebody, my sister was talking to somebody, and I was sitting in the pew by myself, and Leo sat down, Leo Prodal sat down right next to me, put his arm around me and just talked to me and asked me the things I like and things I, I um, do in my life and gave me bowling tips. No, just kidding. Uh, but... Uh, these guys, there was about four or five of them, they just invested in me. And that's what, what, what Peter's talking about is that it's so important for us when the ways that we can be humble is actually humble to those who are um, uh, mature. And sometimes young people think that they know more than those who are older. Some children think they're smarter than their parents. Newcomers may act like they're better than those who've been around for a long time. New employees may think that they're better than those who've been around for a long time. And our generation often assumes that we are the superior generation. And C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. That each generation, it seems like, they think they're the best. Uh, Tom Brokaw did a special call on the greatest generation. And in a, in a sense, um, I think a lot of generations think they're great. And um, this may be true, but some children um, are a lot smarter than their parents. Sometimes those who are new to business have an insight that those who've been around there for a long time um, have not, or maybe they have a blind spot. Some people in the early years of their Christian life, they soar in terms of their faith and eclipsing those who've been Christians for a long time. Regardless of that, the Christian starting point is submission. We see it all over the New Testament. It's submission. And as Christians, those who are younger are to respect those who are older. Those who are newer, submit to those who've been along longer. 
If we're children, we honor and respect our parents. And even, this is for some of us right here, you might really have a tense, estranged relationship with your parents, but you're still called to honor them and respect them. And, um, and especially to res- maybe respect the office of the parent. And sometimes that can be hard, but we're called to that. So let's take humility test number one. Think of three people who are more mature than you and um, are probably older than you. And these are people that you would go to for, for advice, for counsel, for just, you know, I'm going through this, can you help me with this? Can you think of three people? I can. Three people that I go to that really um, I go to for advice. I remember um, a Christian one time, I asked him to name somebody in his life that he actually goes to for advice. Somebody who actually uh, is more mature than him and that he goes to to get insight on life. And he said, I can't name anybody. And it told me something about him. In other words, he ranked himself at the top. He assumed he knew more than anyone else that he would submit to no one, and he flunked the humility test. I didn't tell him that. But uh, Peter says that's a dangerous place. Submit to maturity in verse 5. Next, uh, another way that we can be humble, so answer that question, how to be humble, is to serve others. You see this in uh, verse 5, this beautiful phrase, and all of you, and all of you, dress yourselves in humility. I like you underline that, that phrase in your Bibles or in your teaching notes it's mentioned there. Dress yourselves, or clothe in the literal uh, translation, clothe yourselves in humility. We see Peter and Paul will use language like that. Now the actual uh, uh, phrase, dress or clothe yourselves in humility, it's a word picture. It's a word picture. It was used, it was used as uh, a carpenter or a stonemason would take an apron and wrap it around uh, their body and tie it, and they would go to work. That's the same language that Peter is using right here. This idea of actually uh, working and doing something for others. And we, we see this in Jesus. Jesus, who was fully God, who created the heavens and the earth. The Bible describes him as, as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And when he was born into a human family, he was still as much as God as before. But he chose to come into a home where the dad was a carpenter. And we picture Jesus putting on this, this carpenter's apron and probably dad telling him, okay, we've got to build a table. We have to build a chair for this family. So when we talk about humility, this idea of dressing ourselves, clothing ourselves in humility, it really means serving others. It's putting on the worker's apron and, and actually doing something for somebody else. That's a way that we can do that, that we can be humble. We see in Jesus not only the fact of him actually being a, a, a carpenter, some argue that he was a stonemason either way, um, but also we see it in Philippians chapter 2, a beautiful description of humility demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God and something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his di- divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Remarkable. He was humble. And you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, were called to follow him in his way. That's the idea of discipleship. And I've mentioned this before in some sermons that uh, back in that day when a rabbi called disciples, they're called Talmudim, a rabbi 
um, it was very typical in that day to call 12, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, usually teenage boys. And what the disciples would do is they'd spend about three years with a rabbi, and their goal was to do what the rabbi does. So for this eclectic, motley crew of disciples, I talked about how diverse they were uh, last week, or two weeks ago, and yet they were called to do what Jesus did. And you and I today, as disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to do what Christ did. And what Christ did, it was that he was humble. If there's anything that we can say about him, is that he was humble. I was at a Christian conference one time, and the conference center that we were at didn't have enough staff to serve the meals. So the host stood up in the dining room and asked for eight volunteers to sit tables, serve food, clear the dishes. And before he finished asking, at least 20 hands shot up to volunteer. It was so remarkable. Because they had, you know, you know, paid for uh, plane tickets. They had, we had flown into this big conference, and yet there's things that weren't not prepared. And it was amazing as leaders, they raised their hand to volunteer to serve. Because that's what leaders do. That's what disciples do, is to, is to serve. And for us to be humble and to serve others. And that's what we need to do. And maybe you're here and you are not serving here at Maple Grove Covenant Church. And I want to encourage you to take the shape assessment. We have this at a kiosk um, out in the middle of the lobby. And for you to find out what areas you're interested in. Um, or maybe you're a person that, that has a heart for uh, refugees. We have a refugee, a brand new team, uh, refugee team ministry meeting right after church today. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, you know what, I'm interested in that. Please come. We have about an hour of training uh, from a great ministry, and you'll find out more about our refugee ministry, and, and it's something that's been new for us, and we had a, a great, great year together, and we have some new team members. It's very exciting. We're having pizza, so if you're not interested in the materials or the content of the meeting, you have to at least get some pizza, okay? But anyways, uh, the shape assessment will really, really help, though, if you're interested in serving. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's volunteering in the nursery. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Because there are, it's a pretty high percentage of people in our church right now that are not serving. I'm not trying to guilt you. But I, I encourage you, one of the best ways to get connected here, be part of the church family at Maple Grove Covenant, but also a, 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 a great way, too, to grow in your faith is to serve. I think sometimes... We're sort of like spiritual consumers. We listen to sermons and Bible studies, and we just kind of take it in and take it in and take it in. But I would encourage you to be a participant, to actually get on the playing field of Christianity is when you serve. And in a couple of weeks, as Gary talked about, we have this ministry team huddle thing. And maybe you have, you have not, you're not a part of a ministry team or you're not serving. Please come. Even though you're not on a team, you can come in there, learn about uh, our ministries. We have over 20 different ministry teams, from student ministry to our Africa team to uh, our congregational care. And I'll bet you that there's one ministry that you can find that you could plug in. Please come in a couple Sundays after church. Or maybe it's simply, it's not so much in the church, but maybe it's your neighbors. Ask your neighbor to watch their dog when they go on spring break. Okay. Ask me to watch my dog when I go on spring break. Think of something that you, don't, that you typically don't do. Think about something you don't like doing or you typically don't do and do it. And th- this kind of rang in my ears this morning because we had 
in the, for our life hour class at 9 o'clock, we had a bunch of chairs and tables, things were kind of disorganized. And I was getting ready uh, for the class, and I just heard the, the, vo- the voice from the sermon saying, uh, pick those chairs up, move those chairs around, move the tables around, don't wait for somebody, just do it. And it felt good doing it. And here's the, here's the beautiful uh, reality, too, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25, is that when I serve, if I were to serve Daniel and Lisa Wolfert right here, I'm not just serving them, I'm also serving Jesus Christ. So not only am I serving the Wolferts, I'm serving Jesus Christ. That's not, that's not metaphorical, by the way. It's one of the ways that we grow in our faith because Christ is present as we serve. So that, how to be humble? Serve. Another way is to trust God. We see in Proverbs 3, 34, where uh, actually Peter uh, uh, quotes this in uh, verse 5. God opposed the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God doesn't like pride. And pride, again, the side over here, the gutter of pride, um, he doesn't like pride. In fact, one theologian argues that pride is really the origin, the baseline of all sin. All sin can be traced back in some way to pride. Think about that. And pride is arrogant. It's selfish. And God gets disgusted. In fact, he gets so disgusted, it says in Proverbs, that he actually opposes them. I mean, life is hard enough. I don't need God opposing me. That's not a good game plan. Um, That's not a good life goal, okay? To actually be a sort of person that God is going to oppose. Life is hard enough. And imagine what it must be like if God is determined to squeeze the pride out of you when God turns against your business or your relationships, your dreams, your happiness in life. And how do we avoid that? We trust God. We trust God. We humble ourselves before him. As it says in verse 6, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Bring your, 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 care, your worries and your, your concerns because he cares for you. So as we humble ourselves under God, he will lift us up in due time, in the right time. He brings relief to our suffering. He helps us solve our problems, helps us to succeed, to roll the ball down the center lane of life. And for me, as I think about uh, this whole um, topic of humility, um, for me, when I come up here on Sunday mornings, if I am not in, in submission and in humility to God, I would be dead meat in my preaching. My preaching would be hollow. My preaching would have really no substance. If I relied on my flesh and on my abilities and on my own skills, I would fall flat. I would be dead meat. And it's for me, when I walk up here every time, it's humbling for me. And I'm like, God, I need you this morning. I need you to speak. And that goes true for our our parenting, our marriages, our health, our money, everything else, to realize that God opposes the problem but gives grace to the humble. Now, I want to move into uh, this uh, before I close out, is really look at, as we trust God, um, then you and I have the power. We have the ability to stand firm against the opposition of the devil. Look at verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for the, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. I, I like that, the fact that Peter just mentions that over and over. Stand firm. 
Because when you're trusting God, you're submitting yourself to him, and you come under his mighty hand, then you're able to oppose um, the temptations and the kind of things that the devil wants to do. As Jesus says in John 10.10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have to be alert. And Peter is telling these Christians, be alert. Have your eyes open. Don't think for a second that the devil is not at work and his kingdom is not at work. Stand firm against him. And you might be in the middle of something right now, a temptation. You might be in the middle of right now something, it's a, a testing time for you. And you feel like it's the devil, it's this kingdom of evil that's just weighing on me. Or you might know somebody. Stand firm. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and, and read about the armor of God. That you and I lack nothing. In Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, in fact, Paul outlines that you and I have been given every spiritual blessing. We lack nothing. So when we stand firm against the devil, we have the kingdom of God with us. We have the mighty hand of the creator of the universe with us. And there's nothing that the kingdom of evil and the devil can do to knock us down. If we humble ourselves and trust in God. Amen? And we need to remember that because we, we live in a, a day and culture, I think, we see so much darkness. We see so much tragedy. But to realize that you and I are victorious. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Peter writes early in his letter that you and I are participants in the divine life. That's unbelievable. Participants, partakers in this divine life. That you and I, in the, in the Father, Son, and Spirit, have this life, this collaborative relationship and that we can walk with confidence and we can see a temptation we can see uh, something that's happening and know full well that the God who is all-powerful who's ever-present who's all-knowing is on our side as we humble ourselves to him let me pray God in heaven help us to humble ourselves This is not something that comes um, easy. It's not something that we're preconditioned for. In fact, there's so much in our lives and so much in our world that screams against humility. Uh, So God, help us to move away from self-centeredness and move towards God-centeredness. And as we do, as we submit ourselves to you, we come under your mighty hand and that you will lift us up. And I sense there's people in this congregation right now, they feel a need, a desperate need to be lifted up, and may they receive that today. In Jesus' name, amen.